this is Shirley with Bridge the Gap, and we're doing part two with Dunya Roker. And this time we're going to talk more about spiritual things, some of the experiences that we've had, some of the um, things that we have learned by experiences with God, our encounters with Him. So stay tuned with us. We will be right back. This is Shirley back with um, Bridge the Gap and part two with Dunya Roker. And so we're going to talk about spiritual things on this one. Um, just some interesting experiences we've had with God and with life and how God has taken us through life. And so Dunya, you were telling me about something. And oh, by the way, uh, the reason I say I have a thought <laughs> is because my sons are older and they don't always want to hear my thoughts about what they should do. So when they come to me with either an issue or problem or just making a comment, I now sit back and I ask them. I said, well, I have a thought. Would you like to hear my thought? And they will say yes or no if they don't want to hear it. I don't give them, <laughs> I don't give them my thought and my opinion. If they want to hear it, I give them my thought, but they have a decision that they can make. They can either take the advice or not take the advice. So I have a thought that you have some things that you would like to share. And so I'm going to let you share those. Oh, so yeah, we're <laughs> talk as we were discussing earlier about the book, um, the Rick Warren book, um, what on earth am I here for? Um, yeah, so I guess within like a couple of years of just doing some self-reflection and things like that, um, going back to as far as when I was in two consecutive accidents um, months apart and that had a, 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 an awakening effect on me as to why I survived both accidents. Um, the first one was really um, a bad accident and the second one um, left me stranded on the interstate and this was after work and so the fact that I had survived both really had me um, caused me to reflect a lot um, about life um, fast forward I had recently gone um, to see my doctor and because my mother had died from breast cancer my doctor has referred me. How old was to, your mother when she died of breast cancer? She passed away at 35 years old. Okay. Yeah, she had a double mastectomy. And I too believe that, I don't know, um, in my early 30s that I, I would no, not be here. And this was mainly because it's known or it's um it's studies show that usually when you have someone especially a parent a mother or father who is who has um uh has likely died of some type of cancer or some type of major illness um you, the child is usually more most more likely to have that that illness as well but um 
this year I had gone again gone to the doctor the doctor had referred me to go and um, have my mammogram done um, when I went and had it done and got my results after two days two three days after I was kind of I was relieved I say kind of because I was preparing for the worst so um, and I had come to terms with it anyway I had come to terms with whatever the outcome was I was going to accept it and I was going to deal with it but uh, when it came back normal that was another um, another it brought me back to a sense of reflection again self reflection as to really what is my true purpose why am why why am I being kept on this earth? Now, is that when you um, bought the book or you already had purchased the Warren book then? Um, the book was purchased three years ago. Okay. Oh, three years. months ago. Yeah. But I didn't start doing really the hard um, self-reflection until, I guess, this year when I had finally come to the exception of like whatever... If I had breast cancer, I was going to accept it and deal with it. And whatever came after that was what I was, um, I was going to have to accept it. But, um, yeah, it came into question. Uh, why is God keeping me here? Why did, and I, and it, and it brought me back to why did my mother die? Anyone would ask that, you know, when your parent dies so young, you're kind of wondering, um, why did my, why did God take my parent away so soon? And then you really start to re- you start to have inner self diet self dialogue, and you're saying to yourself, "Okay, we all have a purpose, right? We're all on put on this earth for a reason." Um, and I strongly believe this, and I've begun to believe it that whenever our purpose is done, that we are gone, that God takes us. That's interesting. Yeah. So. I have a purpose, I know I do, and I'm slowly searching out for it. Um, I know it has to do with something I'm passionate about, something that, because I, I believe that God will push us, he'll, he'll put things on our heart and he'll push us, and he'll, it'll be something that we, we, we do very well, that's another thing. Um, and so God it's, it's like that. a natural gift maybe for you? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yes. Okay. Something that, that comes not easy to us. Mm-hmm. And so, again, I believe that once that thing that I'm supposed to do is done, then that's probably when my life will end. I really okay. believe that. But um, I think going back to even... I'm thinking of someone like a famous person, like a MLK or a JFK, who whatever they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing their, was, MLK. Was, MLK huh? was only 38, I think, when he yeah, died. When he died, yeah. And but it makes you is known um, forever. Is known around the world forever, which is amazing. Right, right. But look at um. Oh, another perfect example Chad Bo- Chad Bozeman yes 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 um, and he creating did Black the Black Panther. Panther yes 
And and yeah. I'm even have you seen the Howard speech that he does, uh, where he's inspiring the Howard grads? It's I awesome. To it, yet. it is yeah. awesome. As he's but talking he... about the differences that you make in a person's life, mm -hmm. um, and how we are examples, you know, for others. And it's 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 outstanding. Um, I just I mean I was shocked when he passed away. Mm -hmm. uh, but he definitely has done and has left a message. As a matter of fact, I'll send you that once I have it somewhere that I've logged it because I think it's so good. Um, it's really good. But I totally believe that as well. I think all our life we're being prepared for what else we will do next. And so I don't think it's just one thing all the time that we do, but there are many things that we can do. But I do think we learn from everything that we do. So I guess an example for me is as a child being really, I didn't realize until a couple of years ago that as a child, when the freedom of choice um, started to go to school, I was chosen by my parents to be the one to go and my older brother and sister were not going. And I had not thought about that until recently. And so I had to go through sitting in class by myself or maybe two of us at most. And I think as I got into high school, there were at most five black students in one of my classes at a given time. And even though I didn't know it, there were people, there were black classes and there were white classes. And in the white classes, there were only a few of us. And I didn't know at the time that they had expected these people will go on to college. And the others were not expected to. And I thought that was really sad because I knew the some of the other black students who used to do well in school when I first through fifth grade. And then when I in sixth grade, when I went to Freedom of Choice, uh, I didn't see them anymore. So I really didn't see many of the black students from sixth grade to 12th grade. <laughs> so I graduated without seeing a lot of people that were in my community, in my city, you know, people that I just never saw anymore in school. And I didn't, didn't realize that. And so when they fully integrated the schools, that's when my brother and sister came. So my sister was like 12th grade. When, right. she, when she came to a fully integrated situation, my brother would have been about 10th grade. Yeah. And so I then was like seventh grade. And, and so I never was in the same school with them. And I didn't realize that <laughs> until a few years ago. I thought about it and I said, well, why was I the sacrificial lamb for my family? But now that time has passed, those environments where I was a minority, I have remained a minority in almost every environment since then. And so I feel like God was preparing me to understand and how to deal with people that didn't look like me. And he has done that all of my life. And I, I just really figured that out, you know, whether I was in insurance, industry or the computer industry. I was a minority wherever I was. And then as I got into the computer industry, not only was I a minority because of race, but I was a minority because I was a woman. 
So I didn't even work with women in many cases when I got into the computer industry. I did at first, but then as I got promotions and went into areas of marketing or more of marketing, I didn't see myself. And so when I started traveling the earth, doing marketing and communications and all of that, I was the only woman. <laughs> and, and so, you know, it's, it's interesting because by that time, I didn't even notice it. I was so accustomed to being minority that when I would go to other countries, if I was in Japan, there's all men and me in a meeting. And it, was, it felt fine because I was accustomed to being a minority wherever I was. And I think as African-Americans, we are actually minorities on the earth because we were not born in Africa. We were born in America. Even when we go to Africa, Africa doesn't consider us to necessarily be African. It is, I mean, it is something, it's mind-boggling, so it's almost like you're unique on the planet. And I don't, I don't know that we've ever just thought so deeply, but when I sit down with my African friends, I can tell that, okay, even though we were raised very similar, I mean, if, as, as you're comparing your backgrounds and saying what your mother taught you and your father taught you, it is very similar. And when I go to an African nation, I feel as at home <laughs> as I would in America, but yet not really. <laughs> but as far as being able to look at Africans and African Americans as a community, a collective community, I can. But I don't know that we are viewed the same. So it's 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 interesting. It gets it gets deep um, as to when we come to purpose. It's as if we're being prepared and we have no idea what we're being prepared to do until, until we start going a direction and we just see that that direction seems to feel comfortable and it feels right even though it still may be puzzling <laughs> but it still feels right and you're effective there so you were talking about to the accidents, like the car accidents just didn't take your life even though they were totaling your cars. Well, no, the first one was not in my car. The first one was in a coworker's car. Okay. She was the one who was driving and um, her foot never got, she thought she had her foot on the brake, but her foot was still on the gas oh. and the car just kept going and the second one i was actually hit from the back while i was driving someone just um drove into the back of my car and just um the whole back of the car was damaged and it sent me flying to the um shoulder 
and that's when I, yeah, I, I, I should have, anything could have happened to me both of those times, but I was, I came out unscathed. Hmm. Nothing happened. Um, I think the most that happened was the first accident, but the second accident, there was no, I had no physical um, injury. Hmm. And that had to have really been a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as you think about purpose, what areas just seem normal, seem comfortable? What with the directions that you're going and maybe with the past that you've had, have you been going a direction? Have you noticed that one thing that you do uh, seems to connect to something in another thing that you do or people that you meet? Well, definitely that um, people that I meet, but more so I think like I'm supposed to extend, I'm supposed to extend something. Like I write and um, again, I enjoy writing. So maybe I'm supposed to go back to that writing. Hmm. Well, what, what, what makes you think back to the writing? Are, are you, have you written articles recently that um, have, have affected people? Um, I haven't written any articles and I feel like I should be writing I should be writing articles especially now especially with everything that's going on um another thing is too honestly is um just writing about so injustices mm -hmm. that's something I'm very passionate about and um I believe that I should be probably talking about those things where do, you think that, where do you think that passion comes from well I think it comes from just being able to to be there for to speak up to give a voice mm -hmm. to give a voice to give a voice to someone else who doesn't have a voice because there, again, are there people in your family that's doing similar things to that? That's giving a voice or being a voice? There is actually, there absolutely is. So there's a female cousin of mine who I was mentioning to you off was um, before we started mm -hmm, earlier. The conversation, yes. And she's very um, big on inequality and okay. diversity. So. Um, she's awesome when it comes to doing that to talking about it to uh, it, uh, to just um, shedding light mm -hmm. on how diversity there isn't enough diversity in the workplace mm -hmm. and inclusion mm -hmm. she does a lot of um, talk about that and she inspires me actually she really does okay. inspire me and that actually that pushes me too to want to do something similar, but um, again, but to give a voice, to give a voice to those who don't have one. Because imagine, just um, just thinking about it, you you kind of know what it's like not to have a voice or not to be heard, mm -hmm. but you have the opportunity, mm -hmm. right, 
you you have the gift mm-hmm. to give that to somebody else mm-hmm. would you not do it mm-hmm. would you not use it mm-hmm. and that's kind of like my my thing that i question myself every day about um should i not give a should if i have if god has if i have this gift if i have this opportunity if i have this chance should i not be using it purposely purposeful should I not be helping well why do you think you're not are you just so busy doing other things or are you getting distracted or I think more so doing other things and just being able to also um, just really um, home, well finally say to myself I'm going to do it um, that's what it is getting the gumption, getting the nerve and the courage to say I'm going to do it. And I think it's a lack of courage really. Okay. Like I know I need to do it and I know I have it in me to do. But it's like I need to just I I need to stop thinking about doing it and just do it. Yeah. And I think I'm putting too much thought into it rather than doing it. Okay. And so um I'm thinking about a process uh, that's called WOOP. It's W-O-O-P. W stands for what is your deepest desire or your wish. And typically you don't, unless you get by yourself and like spend some quiet time and you just think about if I could do anything on earth. And I had already everything that I need. I have all the money I need. I have the house I want. I have, you know, my own children or whatever. Whatever. You have everything that you want. You have no needs. And you sit and you think, what would I do when I get up tomorrow? If you got, if every need you have is met, what will you do when you wake up tomorrow? So whatever that wish is, it's going to come from deep within. And typically, it is God showing you, this is, you have this desire because I've given it to you. <laughs> but sometimes we can't think because we're, we're always like, where can I make the most money? What kind of <laughs> job can I get to do that? What can I do? Maybe I should write a book and make some money. Or, oh, you know, so-and-so is doing a podcast, <laughs> you know. So so we keep basing our life on everybody else who's doing something. And instead of sitting with God and saying, okay, why am I here? What desires have you placed in me that I have not fulfilled yet, so I'm still searching? Because if you had found it, I don't think you would be still searching. You might be searching for materials to write about, but you wouldn't be still searching saying, should I write or should I work at the hospital <laughs> or should I do, you know, be an exercise coach? You, you wouldn't be looking at all of those things, but if you have the writing ability, you would be looking at where can I find more information to write about and what am I really passionate about and is it injustice? And am I perhaps working on my exercise routine 
so that I can write about people, you'll have more justice if you have a better help. Because you can still write about that. So, you know, so what is your biggest desire? That's your wish. That's W. The O is, what are the obstacles that, you know, uh, well, first let's look at outcome. What are the outcomes that you want? So when you start writing, what actually do you want to happen? <laughs> you want people, more people to write? Because <laughs> you're now want to coach writers. You want to write books. You want to do articles. You want to write, what do you want to write about? So what is the outcome that you want? Or do you want to be able to write a book so you can influence the world? Do you want to influence the United States? Do you want to write a book on justice so that people can understand how important it is and how frustrating it is when you don't have it? Because that's really giving a voice. We as African Americans are very frustrated when people do not hear us, do not see us, do not try to understand us, do not give us an opportunity to use our intellect and any research that we've gathered throughout our life. We are very passionate about being who we are because God has made us that way. So then the next O, you have W and you have O, so outcome. The next O is obstacles. So what is really keeping you from writing? Is it that you have too much on your plate? Is it that you're looking at what somebody else is doing? Is it that when you get home, instead of working on writing, you're working on something else? And then the last word, which is P, so WOOP, W-O-O-P, plan. How can you plan to knock down every obstacle that you came up with? So that's your WOOP. And you can do that with everything, every day, if you want. If you take 15 minutes out of a day to just whoop, or you can take an hour out of a week, or two days out of a month to just do that. And as you think, if what gives you pleasure is communicating through writing, then that's what you do. But one of the things I'm thinking is, if it's in your background, <laughs> meaning your forefathers, you find out that there are certain skill sets in your family. I mean, I see that as God pouring that into your family as a talent and a gift. And somebody is going to take it and run with it. And they're going to run until they can do all that they do and they pass the baton to the next person coming along. So one of the things that if I look back at my family, I've done my family tree, and so have you. You've done a genogram, haven't you? I did do a genogram. So in, at Mercer, we did that. Uh -huh. right. And I was shocked when I found out how many teachers were in my family. And then we also looked at what did people die of? How long mm -hmm. did they live? What were what was their profession? So there's a lot of artistic 
like anywhere from artsy type to music and singing to building houses to there's a lots of artsy there was also lots of entrepreneurs in my family tree on both my mother's side and my father's side and so you need to think back to that genogram <laughs> and say okay what has been in the family because I Welcome back to uh, part two of our conversation. Uh, so uh, we talked about whoop, and so Danya is now thinking back over a genogram. And so you remember now that your mother was a teacher at the School of Notre Dame, is that what it called in Haiti? Yes, the College of Notre Dame. Okay. And I just remember that it's an um, it, it's an all boys school, and she um, she taught there. And so going back to that, um, with my passion, and we're talking about this with um, with injustice. You were asking me uh, why injustice, particularly. Um, I have a a passion for helping black men, okay. black men um, who struggle with injustice i don't know if those are connected my mom working at an old boys school and me wanting to work with men and also having brothers black brothers mm -hmm. and a black father of course mm -hmm. so all of that can tie in um oh, with your passion yeah right all of that could could be something that ties in um so but mainly the people who the family members that uh i ended up finding out about with um their profession most of them were like i had an uncle who was a, a gynecologist and my grandfather was he he worked a business he had his own business but I don't um as far as recollecting anyone who's in social justice the only person I can really think of honestly though I will share this is my co the cousin uh -huh. the, the distant cousin I told you about earlier uh -huh. her name is Marie Roker and her dad actually was um her dad um, did some work in social justice. Mm -hmm. He did, yeah. And which was kind of fascinating because I found out about this two two years ago. That's when I found out about her was um, when I found out about her her dad. And so then I then I realized it seemed like she is more going along the lines of what her dad did hmm. yeah interesting. The injustice. yeah it seems like she's the one who is really she's she's walking uh, yeah she's walking in that passion of hers you know it's in interesting because i think in in atlanta there isn't bernice king and her brother are kind of going along the passion of their father martin luther king's uh, desires uh, the as people say, the nut does not fall far from the tree. 
Uh, I know in my family, uh, I have a great-grandmother on my mother's side who was an, uh, a Bible reader, entire Bible reader, even though then they were not supposed to be able to read. Um, as a matter of fact, there were anti-literacy laws that said if you taught a black person to read, that you could be jailed, I think, for six months and charged a, a monetary fine. And so, but she still not only learned to read, but was teaching others, and at 71, went and got a college degree. <laughs> my great-grandmother. And then my great-grandfather, on my father's side, was teaching blacks to read when he was not supposed to be reading. Again, That's these right. people are risking their lives teaching others. It was a passion. I, I, I feel that that passion came from God. It's like, I need you to do this. <laughs> and so they have this passion where even though it was against the law, they were still doing it. And right. so then when my grandfather, my father's father came along, he was out there doing the marches for civil rights. As a little girl, I remember, because I wanted to go everywhere with my grandfather and my brother as well. And so I was with my grandfather when he was going to march and he was gonna allow me to march with him. But then they started bringing out the dogs and then they brought the fire trucks with the hoses so that they could spray the people. And when he saw that was gonna happen, he saw a lady that was from our community and he actually said, come get my grandchildren. I don't want them to have to go through this. I'll never forget that. I was probably three. <laughs> I, I had a lot to happen to me at a young age that I still remember. But she took us up on the second floor to this beauty salon. And I remember standing, looking. I could barely see over the windowsill. That was so short. But I was looking because I was trying to find my grandfather to see if they were going to kill my grandfather. So uh, that had a profound effect upon me. He was one of the first black men to get the right to vote in Mississippi. And so things like those passions, I really believe come from God. And as those people leave the earth, that passion is passed on to the people who inherit. I say they inherit those passions. And so sometimes you don't realize, like, well, like I was saying, I, at first, you know, why was I chosen to be the sacrificial lamb to go to the freedom of choice system? Because people are just getting used to us. So, you know, teachers wouldn't call on me because I was black. I wasn't supposed to be intelligent. And so they just decided, you know what, we're not going to even call on her, even though you're raising your hand. And you're like, I know the answer, you know, to this, but they wouldn't let you tell the answer, especially if nobody else in the class had the answer. So we go through, or had to go through those things, but then God was making it us, you know, into this person. There's a scripture that says, then he made again another. So he takes the same person and he's making you into another person that can handle what you need to do in the future. And so when you, that's why it's good to think about who came before you. What were they doing? What was their passion? Because as that comes to your thinking, 
you now understand, oh, this is why I really went on, you know, to school and got the Masters of Divinity. And, you know, so a lot of things I understand when I look, when I sit and I think about my forefathers and foremothers and what they did and how passionate they was. And sometimes it's like I can hear the voice of God saying, I've dropped that mantle in your lap. In other words, I have a chance to do something with that mantle or I can leave it on the earth and somebody else coming behind me is going to pick it up. Right. So, you know, it's it's that's an, it's incredible. So, you know, keep thinking back to people who are focused on injustice. Your mother who was teaching those who were mistreated and and probably ignored because well, we, she didn't really um that's not what she uh that wasn't her purpose she wasn't teaching people who were being ignored she she was teaching actually more people who were um, more affluent and and, and doing mm-hmm. well okay mm-hmm. yeah that yeah she was doing the opposite of that i right. think me more so my my actually mm-hmm. my experience is quite opposite than hers especially like um, where i'm working at the mm-hmm. hospital i'm working at it's um it's not an affluent um most of the people we provide services for are not affluent okay. the percentage of our um the patients who come to grady mm-hmm. as you're well aware of mm-hmm. um, are about i want to say 90 african-american black mm-hmm. and they're um underserved under um underinsured mm-hmm. so i kind of have looking at my mom's experiences very much different than mine okay but I'm um and and yeah I'm working with more of the less deserve pop people mm-hmm. people who you know yeah people who deserve more is what you're saying right right and maybe they don't, don't know who they are or don't know what they're capable of In well, other words, there's some wait. there's some people who are privileged, and it sounds like your mother was de- dealing with more privileged. Correct. Some people are Correct. privileged, but they're privileged, and, and I found this to be a difference in my life. The reason some people were more privileged than me is because they had traveled, and when people travel and learn, they actually feel like, I'm supposed to be a leader. And so we don't have a whole lot of black people that get that opportunity. Because once you travel and leave out, let's just say you leave from, for instance, you were in New York and you moved to Atlanta. Well, why did you move to Atlanta? Because you felt like I can handle this. You know, I'm, I'm a New Yorker, I can handle Atlanta. So you, there's, a, there's a something within you that comes to that city that feels you can contribute and you can help. And maybe there's some things that you'll learn as you're doing that. Or maybe because it's considered, as some people call, the black mecca. And so you're thinking there's a chance to help. I know one of the reasons when I moved to Georgia, that was one of the things I thought, is that, oh, there's a way that I can help because we have a lot of black people here. We have educated people here. And we have people like the school systems at one time, I know was like what 75% of people were graduating from high school. And 
the average was brought down because African-Americans were at a much lower rate of uh, graduating from high school, which is strange because you have very educated African-Americans in, in, in Atlanta. So it's like, well, why is it that kids aren't graduating, but you have very affluent African-Americans? So all that is, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's just a mixed bag that makes you want to go, hmm, I don't understand. Right. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. No, I'm just, um... Yeah, there is a, a, a lot of work that needs to be done. That, um, and I, I always think back to that too, is um, the work that needs to be done. So, uh, as far as, again, giving, like what we're talking about, giving a, a voice. Mm-hmm to those who don't have it because I can't imagine um, not being able to have have your voice heard not being being able to have your voice heard it's like us having this dialogue now right Mm -hmm. and we're both expressing our own experiences to one another and we're going to share that with other people and just being able to, whatever our experiences have been throughout our lives, just being able to sit there and just talk about it mm. and put it out there. And mm. I, I believe sometimes we all need that. There are people who are searching for that, searching for their voice, and they don't know where their voice is and how to use it, or they don't. Yeah, they they just don't know what what channel, mm-hmm. what channel, mm-hmm. what medium to use your voice, and so. And I think we all we all need encouragement, you know, as to what makes sense. Um, when I when I think back of my Atlanta experience, um, I remember going to so many meetings where there were so many nonprofit organizations. And I used to think to myself, there are thousands of nonprofit organizations here and everybody says they're focused on helping, uh, you know, the disenfranchised and those who don't have a voice like you're saying. Uh, and so my question was, what are people doing when they get the money? Because I never did have that privilege of getting that much money from my nonprofit organization. So what what I was trying to do is introduce younger people, and especially minorities, into the value of travel, especially outside the country, because of what you could learn. And I didn't see that as a welcome space by, say, majority people, because I had an organization called Grooming Future World Leaders. And so some people were intimidated by that. And it's like, no, I'm not not saying I'm trying to grow presidents necessarily, but I am saying that if young people get the same exposure that 
rich majority people get at an early age that they will know that they have leadership abilities. They will know that they can do what other people do. They will know that. But when you're not given that opportunity as a young person, a youth, or a teenager, or a young adult, you don't know what's possible. So, um, so my angle, as people would say, my angle was to push the value of traveling outside the country so that you could learn. And the reason I had such value for it is because when I started doing that, I realized how much I didn't know until I started traveling. And right. I mean, you know, even with uh, things about Christianity in the Bible, I have seen now things in other countries, especially Europe, that I have never seen associated with Christianity here. And so that's the thing that um, I think there is value with. And I think whatever you feel is the missing link within the group that you're targeting, most definitely push for that missing link, whatever that may be. And I think communications and writing, my personal opinion, because I guess I value that and would love to be the writer that you are, uh, I think that's a missing link in itself uh, in our community. And the, the reason I think it's so important now is when I look at all of the college background both of us have, how many black authors did you read at Mercer or even when you were in New York? How many black authors in reality did you read in school? Is that a question? <laughs> That's to a me? question. <laughs> Not many. Not, Not many. Um, I don't know that. I mean, even even black teachers. I want you to think back to, I don't know, where did you go to, to your work on your bachelor's? Um, I had started out at LaGuardia Community College, three, okay. um, about two, two years after high school. Yeah, I went to, which was, um, LaGuardia Community College was very diverse, but predominantly Hispanic. Okay. But there were a couple, when I think back to that, those, those years, um, of doing my associates, um, there were a couple of uh, minority black professors there. Okay, that a couple. I did, um, <laughs> Two. <laughs> and then I went to, when I came to Georgia, actually I did my bachelor's at Mercer. Okay. And How many were, black professors? <laughs> I, I, oh, what did you say? I said, how many black professors did you have at Mercer Not University in Atlanta? Not many. Okay. Not many. Well, I had in what I was in two different schools, Masters of Theology and Masters of Mental Health Science. So, at McAfee School of uh, McAfee School of Theology, I had one black professor, <laughs> and in the Mental Health Science, I had one black professor. Everybody else was white. As a matter of fact. When I even think about Mississippi State University, I didn't have any minority professors, none. No black, no Hispanic, no Latino, no, <laughs> no Asian, no anything. 
all my professors were white. All the way through high school, my professors were, my teachers were white. All the way from sixth grade until I had all white teachers. And when you talk about black authors of books that we read, none. And now if you look at the number of black authors out there, it's mind-boggling, but they're not being used in schools for education in the academic arena. So perhaps when you think of your passion and writing, that could go a whole lot of different ways, couldn't it? Yes. So, I mean, you could think about your passion for educating others, your passion for being a voice for others, your passion for just teaching others how to write about their passions. There are so many areas that you can go into. It's a matter of thinking and thinking deeply about what area you think you enjoy the most and which area you think God is placing people. Sometimes I find that God placed people in your pathway and they don't even realize they're talking about something you've asked him about. So even think back to that when it comes to spiritual things. When I left Atlanta, I actually felt like I asked God, did I did I make a difference? And two days later, I had my little um, garage sale. And an older white man comes to my garage sale up the hill. You, you've been to the house, so you know it's a little bit of a driveway. And in about 100 degree weather. And he simply said to me, when I turned around, I said, how many things would you like to buy? And he says, your ways are not like God's ways. Your thoughts are not like God's thoughts. What you think is little is big to God, and what you think is big is little to God. People that you deal with and you talk to will talk to thousands, and God will give you millions to your account. And then all he said was, do you understand me? And with tears rolling down my face, I said, yes, I do. And he turned and he walked away. Never saw him before and never saw him since. But it was God's way of telling me, you have done what you were supposed to do. It's time to move on. And so other little clues that I got is I never hardly took a nap, but <laughs> near the end I would take naps and my doorbell would ring and there would be nobody there. I'm like, what? Are you serious? I'm serious. I am very serious. My doorbell, it, I would be all the way upstairs. And I hear my doorbell and I get up and I'm running downstairs and nobody is there. And I can go back upstairs, lie down, and it rings before I can go to sleep. And I go back downstairs and there was nobody there. That has been a time for me I've figured out now. Those things happen when God is like giving me alert I just need you alert so I can give you direction. And so those things start happening. And so every time it's not for me to totally relocate. <laughs> but 
but I think for me to be awake, to be alert. Uh, and so there are many ways that God has of trying to move us along when it's time to go or time to do something different or time to focus on something different. Thoughts. <laughs> well, what thoughts do I have? Um, this just actually confirms that I need to start working on this project. <laughs> because again, I've been putting it off. Um, I know there's this project that I'm supposed to be working on. And of course, again, I've been putting it off. And I just know I need to start working on it. Well, do you feel you're in the right place to do it? Um, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm supposed to go to Africa <laughs> and do it there. Um, <laughs> Why Africa? Well, because Africa is the starting point, the beginning point of where all of this. Oh, you're trying to figure out how it all began, huh? culture really is what is it what's the black culture what is it um and the only place i feel like i can truly understand it the history of black peoples in africa hmm. that's interesting it's very interesting I, yeah um and yeah going back to places like where Nelson Mandela was and just history like that, really understanding what his, um, you know, being able to understand those things that I once shied away from. And this is me. This is my own personal me divulging something that I struggled with, with um, not really wanting to know about black struggling to, to accept black history, mm -hmm. what blacks have gone through, um, the whole um, slavery and things like that. And just going there, going to Africa, really seeing mm -hmm. um, who we are, who I am, mm -hmm. where I come from, mm -hmm. who my people are, mm -hmm. and embracing them. and that embracing myself and accepting myself mm -hmm. and that's kind of part of that um yeah that's 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 one aspect of it okay yeah i i mean Just i think i think as as african americans we all have desired to see what that's see what that's like I think from both African-American and being Christian, I have, you know, sought to understand that. And I have had a chance to see Nelson Mandela's home and I've had, had a chance to um, see Desmond Tutu's home and um, go to Lissetti and see what some of the tribes were like. Uh, I remember crying 
uh, in Lissetti because when the people started to sing and dance, they sounded just like my grandfather when he would lead songs in the Baptist church in Mississippi. Uh, and then um, the thing that gets to me though is when you go to South Africa, especially Johannesburg, I haven't been to um, another place, Cape Town. I haven't been to Cape Town yet, but in South Africa, you do see townships that people are really, really, really struggling without electricity and water. Um, houses or huts made with tin and cardboard. And when it's pouring rain, uh, have nowhere to go. Uh, I've seen a similar thing in Kenya, in Nairobi. Nairobi has skyscrapers, so does Johannesburg. Johannesburg to me reminds me more of San Francisco. But then in that city, not far outside the city, you have the townships where people are very, very, very poverty stricken. And then you wonder because in South Africa, you've had gold and diamonds and all that. And then um, in Kenya, uh, you have the townships where people, homes have no floor, their feet are on the ground and things are dirty and filthy. Um, and so the struggle is there again, the huts with tin and cardboard. Then you go and see the skyscrapers and the very nice five-star hotels. Um, every African nation I've been into, I've cried. In Egypt, you see the same thing. Um, but at the same time, they're skyscrapers. <laughs> you know? uh, it's it's amazing, and you know, and so for. I guess I'd like to travel, especially in the African nations, to learn more about Christianity. Because I think we have now found out that Christianity actually began there. And uh, then it spread to China and from China into Europe. Uh, and so uh, what I've learned is that Africans, one thing's about Africans and even Native Americans is that they believed in sharing the land. God gave them the land so they shared it. They didn't own it and possess it. You know, that's yours and this is mine. And they didn't do that. The Europeans actually started that trend of going over right. and taking and possessing and calling the land theirs. And the way they were able to take it from the Africans and the Native Americans were to come up with a tax. A tax for these people on their own land. <laughs> it's like you're making the rules, but you didn't even live here, but you're coming and making the rules. And so other people weren't taxed like the the natives were taxed. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's amazing when you do hear more about the history. And so uh, I'm loving it that there are a lot of black authors now that's done research and they're going over and doing more research. So uh, I think it's, you know, um, good to travel. I want to go to Ethiopia uh, because that's where some of the first churches started. Um, I want to be able to see them because they still exist. Um, supposedly the Ark of the Covenant is there. And what I've been told by an Ethiopian woman that her forefathers told her the reason Ethiopia was the only 
country in the continent of Africa that was never colonized is because they had the Ark of the Covenant and God just didn't allow it. So, you know, it's it's a really amazing thing to kind of go and see. Uh, but you see all the black art in the uh, monasteries that are in Greece, in, uh, even in Amsterdam, in the uh, Rights Museum, they have black uh, Jesus and mother. <laughs> um, mountains in Spain, uh, in the monasteries that are like 1,025, I think is when one of them was created, but even before then, they knew it exist before 880 AD. So these places have even uh, pictures and paintings of black church fathers. So, you know, there's all kinds of things I think that we can see and experience outside the country because we have been sheltered from history. Right. We have we have been sheltered from that, and I think that's why we have such a desire to learn more because we realize now that there's such little that we have been allowed to read and see and experience. So, what country in Africa are you thinking of? You're thinking of South Africa because of Nelson Mandela. I would, yeah. Um, I have gained a fast an interest. I would say an interest in, um, yes, going to the different parts. I'd like to actually, I'm particularly um, interested in learning the areas where the first slave ships came and picked up. Um, so Ghana, what we think is Ghana, and I haven't been there, so that would be an interesting trip. I wouldn't mind going to see that as well. Yeah. I can imagine. I'd really cry there, but <laughs> but I, every nation, every African nation I've gone to, I've cried. It is it is impossible not to. Um, one is a feeling of familiarity. Uh, another is amazed at how much the people act and look like what you see in America as African American personality right. and everything. Right. And, and I think we're so foreign, I think, to Africans. Um, foreign because they don't know us. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But then they're told, I think, when they become citizens and customs not to deal with us. Mm-hmm. So um, that I've had an opportunity to confirm by talking to African right. friends. So it's, uh, it's an interesting thing, and when you think about it, maybe the calling has to do with bridging that gap between the unknown and the known. Because there is a gap between understanding African and African American. There is a gap there. And I think that needs to be bridged um, as far as understanding and appreciation of culture Right. But also, too, for me, um, wow, I think it's more of the accepting of our, not some, well, uniqueness, but um, overall, just who we are. Mm -hmm. Um, 
guess like now that we're seeing more, I guess, just thinking of, of dark skin models or dark skin mm -hmm. people, right? Mm -hmm. On um on magazine covers where that wasn't before. Right, exactly. And just being able to feel comfortable and good in our skin, right? Um, being able to wear natural hair, that's another thing, right? And just accepting your our physical beauty, our physical appearance for what it is. I, was, I think I was surprised. Um, my one of my sons get the GQ magazine, and I think about a month ago, or maybe two months ago. Almost every model in GQ was black. Mm. And I was like, do you see this magazine? <laughs> this is awesome. And so when the next month came, so I don't know what the difference was because I just assume it had something to do with Black Lives Matter because it wasn't like February, which is the month that you celebrate black awareness or whatever. But uh, it was only about a month or two ago the magazine had almost all black male uh, models of every shade, every hair texture, every hairstyle, uh, every uniqueness from sunglasses to no sunglasses to dreads to no hair to... I'm like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Uh, and so when you see that, you're just blown away because we're not accustomed to seeing it. But that's how I know things are shifting. You know, the shift that's happening is amazing to me. And um, at the same time, thrilling. Because it's so past time. <laughs> it is so past the time uh, to start showing the strength of people with dark skin. Um, and, you know, it's just so many things that are shifting on the earth that's a good thing. It's, it's, it's amazing. And so we're all seeing it differently. I think it's surprising to maybe majority people, but it's heartwarming, I think, to especially African-Americans and I think Latinas and uh, Latinos, everyone, uh, and as well to Asian uh, people because we have not been able to see ourselves not as beautiful not as intelligent, uh, not as authority figures and leaders. And that's coming out uh, so much more now, which is, is just past time for that. We shouldn't have to justify every time we get a new job, uh, justify that we can handle it. Uh, we shouldn't have to justify our intellect every time we deal with schools or education. Uh, but there are many books that are being written. Uh, and so a lot is going on. A lot is going on. But yeah, so um, what you have to start doing then is setting aside, making that plan so you can set aside the dollars to start traveling when we can travel again. And I would assume that would happen after vaccinations come out. So then <laughs> you have to decide whether or not you're gonna take the vaccination. Uh, but I think, you know, that's when the traveling will be allowed again to come into other countries, um, right. you know, with the virus being so prevalent here. Right. So what are the thoughts that you have? 
Well, I've been my own my other I guess additional thought is um I've just become enamored with the whole African culture. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm becoming enamored with it. Um Yeah. I've just become enamored with it. These past few I could I think years. Mm-hmm. It's been four or five years. And um I guess that's that's one of my closing thoughts just on that and being able to being able to I guess re- um reconcile that reconcile reconcile identity oh. so basically uh, identity I think that's where I'm going with this is identity being able to accept who I am reconcile that yeah it's um identity is key uh because what we've done in America is we've identified ourselves as republican or democrat and we haven't identified ourselves and, and I guess this is how I'm now identifying myself as truly a child of God and I'm wanting to look farther to see who the children of Jacob were um, because we know that they were scattered all over the earth uh, so identity now that I look at is uh, not so much so the you know the the skin color but more like okay who spiritually has God made me to be and what does why am I here like you said what am I to say with regards to him and how he has all of us or his children and so um, I re-looked at the Lord's Prayer and I now see when we say our Father we are truly talking about all of us. It's not a particular race. It is all of us. So our Father in a collective identity. And no one can claim him to themselves. He is our Father. He created everything that exists in every person. Um, And we honor him as so the father of the entire creation. So that is what thrills me, I guess. Uh, So Ethiopia is my next, I hope, go-to. At some point, I would like to go to Ghana. Uh, I know all I'll do probably is cry there, but uh, (laughs) Ethiopia, I'll probably be crying and rejoicing and crying and rejoicing and crying. So... (laughs) Right. So I'll mix it up when I get to Ethiopia. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, but as far as the customs in those countries, you know, that's the custom is the custom. Mm-hmm. Um, as you've heard of Akon and what he's doing in, I think it's Senegal. That Akon has oh, okay. got the, the rap it, artist. Yeah, is it six billion dollars? I think. Or, 
I think it's six, six billion dollars that he's created. He's creating a city. It is going to be a technology city, which he said he already had in mind before he saw that Black Panther. So he's supposed to be creating a, a, a technology top of the lines a city. Okay. Uh, and it will be available for African Americans to come if they want to live or to just visit. But it would be top-of-the-line technology. Uh, he's gotten a drawing of what it would look like, but I'm thinking $6 billion is not going to get you very far. <laughs> Some places that will only build maybe a mall, if a mall. But uh, <laughs> but maybe you could do more with $6 billion in Senegal. I think it's Senegal right. where, he, where it is. So I would like to go to Senegal. Um, oh, and speaking of that, have you done your DNA? You... Well, are you talking about ancestry? Yeah. I, yes. you know what, I started doing it, but I never completed it. But I am interested in um, finishing it up. Okay. Because I mean, I did the DNA, and I also found out. Oh, it's my phone. And I also found out um, what tribe I'm supposedly from, which is mm. tricky because that's African ancestry. Right. Um, so the way that that goes, like with with ancestry DNA, that test came back. I also did my mother before she died. So um, it seems pretty close. Um, I have about 70 something percent DNA is found in African countries like Nigeria, Senegal, Ivory Coast. Was there another one? I think Benin. And then 20%, 10% out of Ireland, 10% out of the UK. And I think my mother had 1% Russian. <laughs> what in the world? And Kazakhstan, 1% Kazakhstan, 1% Russian. I didn't have any of the Russian, so that must be on my mother's side of the family. And then my father's side of the family, I, it's hard for me to figure out because as a female, I don't have the Y chromosome. So African ancestry, what it does is it pulls your mother or your father, but if you're female, you would have to do your father's side because some male from your father's side has to do it. So you're in luck. You can have one of your brothers to do that test. And then it will tell you a whole lot because the male carry the X and Y chromosomes, whereas the female only carry her chromo the female chromosome. So what I, the information I have is really based on my mother's mother. So I still don't have my father's side because unfortunately I didn't do my brother before he died. And um, my father didn't have any brothers. Uh, so I would have to reach all the way to his father's people, which is rare. <laughs> I have one cousin who's an Irvin, that's my main name, in West Point, Mississippi, which I've contacted and I have gotten a test, I just haven't sent it yet. And then on my mother's side, 
I need her father's side because even though I did her and she did herself, uh, it's not going to pull her father's side. So <sighs> we're trying to get that done. But um, as a matter of fact, my sons would have been able to pull their father's side. So, so they're crew people. And um, I've forgotten what my people are. <laughs> I, there's two. Takar and what's the other one? Takar and something. I've forgotten what the other one was. But anyway, so you, if it's two different tests, if you do just ancestry, it gives you the countries that your DNA is found in. And then if you do ancestry, uh, African ancestry, then you can actually go all the way to the tribe where your DNA resides. So I think Oprah Winfrey and I believe Condoleezza Rice is crew, is crew people. So anyway, but whatever. But well, that's a good note to end on. And yeah. so thank you for thinking with me. And, and, and really, I think it's spiritual and ancestry <laughs> is what come out of this. So uh, we will have to do our third one day. And I'll let you pick the subject again as to what it, what, what it is that you would like to share. Okay. Okay. It's been wonderful. Okay. So blessings you on your day. And we will you. talk with you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye.